Thanks for listening to the Community Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Pastor Dan Strutz here. Our desire is to connect people with Christ and community. For more info or to contact us, please visit cbcmountainlake.com. Well, thank you for uh, singing for us, Ivan Dolores, and uh, thanks for singing the songs. That maybe there's an irony today because uh, the really we're singing songs and the message is about singing and, and being lifting our voice to the Lord and the irony of it as I whispered to Susanna is after coaching three soccer games yesterday my voice is basically gone and I can't sing today um, so there's a small irony in uh, me this morning of not being able to do what I preach or practice what I preach um, so this morning we are going to Isaiah 12. So you can start flipping over to the your passage, your Bibles there. Uh, the uh, passage, let me see here, is going to be on 489 of the Pew Bibles if you're looking there. 489, Isaiah 12, and we'll get there in a moment. Uh, but first I wanted to share, I, I had the great joy on uh, Wednesday night of, of sharing... Uh, a message to the graduating seniors, to a, a good number of them at the baccalaureate service. That service is kind of a, a church service for uh, the seniors or, or just kind of a sending off, commissioning, challenging them. And, and for me, that challenge when I got to speak to them was to challenge them to uh, look towards Christ as being the one they follow after, the one that they chase after in difficult times. And, and hopefully, we can continue to pray as you go to graduation ceremonies and stuff like that over this next weekend or as you're seeing the the cars parked in houses as you're driving around town just be praying that the seniors that heard that can continue to grasp that that with jesus that's the only way we can go forward in life uh and that's the way we should turn in our struggles so i pray for them that they continue to fall in that uh, with a graduating class, as we're thinking about that, and in the topic of graduating classes, uh, one of the things, I assume they still do this, I know they did it in my day, um, one of the things that, that classes will do when they graduate sometimes is, is choose a class song. Uh, again, I don't know if they did that, and I don't know when that process began, but there's the, the choice uh, of choosing a song that kind of resembles uh, the heartbeat or, or is significant to maybe what that class had to go through together or something that's significant and memorable, and it becomes the song, kind of the anthem of that class as they graduate. I mention that because songs have meaning, like that graduating class that says, hey, this song really resembles what we've experienced in high school or, or whatever, that we pick a song and say, this has meaning, and so I want this to be sung or to be reminded these words uh, are special to us. Music has that sense that, that within songs, there's, there's meaning, there's purpose, there's a story behind them always. Moving away from a graduating class's song, we all have our own songs that we connect with, don't we? There's something in us that enjoys music, enjoys a, a great melody, enjoys a great mess, chorus, uh, words. And whether it's uh, some of you guys who uh, are, are fans of country music, maybe you're a fan of, of hip-hop or, or something else, or maybe you are just die-hard barbershop quartet 
Whatever your choice or style is, I imagine that there are songs that you enjoy and like. And and part of the reason you like a particular song is because it has meaning. Maybe it met you at a certain time when you were in need and you remember that song. Or maybe there's words in there that just just connect with with a mood that you, you... remember from a certain day. Uh, maybe it's a song that when you get in the car and, and that your jam comes on, you just crank that volume up a little bit. Or, even if you're not a singer here in church, maybe when you're bold at home and you're in the shower, you belt that tune out like it's no, like there's no tomorrow. Uh, these songs, uh, the idea that I want us to get is, is that songs are something that I think God has created in us. Singing and music, it's on our heart. It's what God desires. And this morning, I want to connect song with our story. And I think that that's what Isaiah wants to do in this text this morning. Throughout the whole scriptures, we see song and the story. They're blended together. They have meaning. And we see singing with God's people throughout the scriptures. Early on in the Exodus, when Moses comes out with the people, they're led through the Red Sea. The immediate first thing they do to celebrate is what? They sing a song. This isn't our text for this morning, but I want to read these three verses. Exodus 15, it says this, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. That's the first thing they do, their story of coming out through the Red Sea, and they sing. And this morning, as we see in Isaiah, Isaiah just last week started talking about how there's going to be a new exodus, a new coming out, something new that's happening. And again, where we go in chapter 12 is to a song. So the message title this morning is our song of response in that day. Our song of response in that day. Before I read our text, as I always do, let me go before God and thank Him that He's given us this text to show Himself to. Father God, we thank you this morning that you have put songs on our hearts, that you've put uh, melodies in our hearts, and we, we pray, Lord, that this morning we can see that the most important song we can sing is the song of what you've done in our lives. Isaiah brings forward for us this morning a song. We want to worship you in our whole lives. We want to worship you with all we do, and we want to sing and rejoice and move forward in our lives praising you. Father, I thank you for this word this morning that we can have, that it it speaks to a truth about you and what you've done and how it relates to us. May we listen to what we need to hear from you this morning. Jesus, we thank you that it's your work, your death, your resurrection, your coming again, that ultimately is what gives us a hope. Isaiah 12, it reads like this. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. 
For though you were angry with me, and your anger turned away, that your might, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust, and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy will you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah's text in chapter 12, it's a short chapter, but I think it's an important chapter. And ultimately I would say that I think it actually, as I kind of studied and looked at other other commentaries and other things, it's actually, this chapter is surprisingly and maybe even disappointingly not covered as much as we think it should, or as much as I would say it should. It kind of gets uh, overshadowed and overlooked by some of the things that have come before it. In chapter 6, when we look back a few weeks ago, where we studied Isaiah's, uh, where he has that vision of God, and he says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. He sees the seraphim, and he's broken before God. That's obviously a high uh, story, one we remember. And then later on, we hear the, the promise of Emmanuel that will be born to a virgin. And we know that in chapter 7, uh, that that's going to, or uh, whichever chapter it is, uh, chapter 7 or 8. And we know that that's there. And we, we remember that, that, uh, that wording that comes out in the Christmas story. In the same way, we, we hear in chapter 9, uh, Unto us a child is born, and his name shall be Mighty God, Prince of Peace. Those stories that we know, we remember, and, and they become these elevated markers in this section of Isaiah. And I think, uh, to, while those are great, it kind of, again, overshadows what is actually being said here. A response song in light of everything that's been said. Uh, Chapter 6 through chapter 12 of Isaiah is kind of one piece. On the front edge of it is Isaiah's call, his his vision before God, and then God speaks about what he's about to do. And here in chapter 12 is that final response, the final call to God's people to respond in kind as Isaiah has. So the first question we need to ask as we enter in this text is ultimately, who is saying, who is, who is speaking here? Who, who is, what is going on here? What is this interaction? It's a dialogue uh, between two people. We note that opening line where, where Isaiah, well, the, the text says, you will say in that day. And when it's saying, you will say, there's, there's someone that's saying that and directing that out to another person. We hear uh, that, and we should ask ourselves, who is speaking here? Remind ourselves, who is it that is saying these things? And I believe it's Isaiah. I believe it's Isaiah speaking, yes, through God, but he's ultimately speaking to God's people, to Israel, and he's saying, you will say. And he's challenging them to remember what all has gone on, all of what he said since chapter 6, his own call, his own commission. We remember in chapter 6, has that vision of God, and he's broken. He understands that before Almighty God, he, he, has, he has just he has nothing to offer. 
We saw him bow down and say, Woe is me, I am ruined, I am wrecked, I am a man of unclean lips. And then, through the seraphim coming with that coal, he's a, his sin is atoned for, it says. Isaiah is a new man in chapter 6. He, he's brought forward in grace, and, and he's brought forward by Almighty God in showing his mercy on Isaiah. This man who says you to these people, it's a man that has also spoken the words of judgment, the words of what God is going to do, because the king and the people and all those in Israel have been rebellious. They've shown themselves unfaithful, and God has shown through Isaiah what he's going to do, difficult things. He's going to bring ruin on the people. And eight times from chapter 6, Chapter 11, the phrase that is used often is, in that day. Eight times it's used, and all those times it's used as it's destructive. It's used in what God is going to do to bring his judgment. But we'll remember last week that in the midst of all that calling of what God is going to do and bringing down judgment on the people, last week we started to see a glimmer of hope. Uh, we saw the, the, the promised one, that child who would be born, that would be the root of Jesse, that would be a king, that would be bring hope. He would bring what we called a new exodus. He would bring not people out of a physical Egypt where they're in bondage, but he would bring them out of a spiritual bondage, a spiritual slavery, and, and bring them forward triumphantly over their enemies. So now we hear the sentence in verse 1, you will say, in that day. And so again, that word in that day comes out, but this time it's first for a positive, right? It's first listed here as a, a positive, and it's brought and tied with rejoicing in that day after the judgment, you will be brought forward to a song. So let's think for a moment. What could in that day be? What could Isaiah be thinking of when he says in that day? And as we've studied through Isaiah, I've said this multiple times, I think that sometimes these things in Isaiah can point to three different areas. Something in Isaiah's day, something in Jesus' first coming, and possibly something in Jesus' second coming. And like this text, I think it could actually mean multiple of those, or all three of those. So when he says, you will say in that day, he is speaking to first to his people, the people that are immediately in front of him, who are going to go off, they're going to be captured and brought out of their land, taken into exile, and Isaiah is saying, in that day, when you are brought back to your land, in that day, there will be rejoicing. Second, I think he also means something that's probably more in mind, more pertinent, because it fills more of, of what Isaiah has said, is in that day when the Messiah, that child, comes, Jesus, we know, of Nazareth, born, living a life, dying a death, rising again, in that day there will also be rejoicing. There will also be a song as people are led free from their exile. Thirdly, it could mean Jesus' second coming. In that day, you will say, you'll sing the song, that 
No longer, when Jesus comes a second time and everything is done, and no longer will you have burden and pain and brokenness. You'll be freed from all that. For those who are in Christ, you will be freed from that, and you will sing a song of salvation to the Lord. We can think about any three of those. I probably tend to think mostly about the second one, about Jesus' first coming and what he did in his life here on earth. But we could equally play this out with all those. And so now Isaiah states, in that day, and then he says, you will, he's confident in it, you will say, or more accurately we could say, in that day you will sing, you will shout, you will be joyous, and something will flow out of your mouth. And some of you may not say, I'm, I, I don't have a very good singing voice, I don't like singing out loud, which is fine. But when you start to understand and grasp the greatness of what Isaiah is trying to communicate, he says, when you start to grasp this more and more, you won't care if you're off pitch. You just want to sing out as loud as you can this message of joy to the Lord. another important little fact. He's talking here and he says, you will sing, you will say. But in the Hebrew, that word you there is singular. It's an individual. He's suggesting that he's talking to individual. He's not talking to the whole group. He's talking to you and you and you, individuals who have been impacted by God's story. Later on in this passage, it'll shift to plural, the community of so now, is that just a little grammar thing? Is that something that, that is just a, a, something to look over, or is that important? And I think it is. It leads us to the first point, which is on the board there, on the screen in front of you. This idea in verses 1 and 2 that this song, the song that we're singing, is a song of thanks in each of our testimonies. That each of our own stories it, it has to be part of the song says, you will say in that day, I will give thanks. And that's the heart of this message, is for those that are grasping what Isaiah is saying about the destruction to come, but also the Messiah who's going to make things right and make it well. Verse 1 and 2 says, I will give thanks. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. The heart of this song is thanks to God. Thanksgiving to Him who has given us something. And Isaiah predicts that you will thank God for something. But we can ask ourselves, what is he saying? What are the things he says we are going to thank God for? Is he saying that that you're going to go and in that day you're going to thank God for your blessings like, you know, the house over your head that you sleep in or, or the food that's on your plate? Is he thank, saying you're going to thank God for your friends and family or, or good health? Is that what you're going to thank God for? Or is there something else? Those things are great. And many of our prayers surround those things. Thank you, God, 
for giving me my health. Thank you, God, for this meal that we have in front of us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And those are good things. But I want to challenge us this morning that in our prayer life, if that's all we're praying for, what we have to remember is that those same things are the same things that our neighbor, who might be a Buddhist or might be some other religion, he's also thanking his God for. Those prayers don't necessarily, they're not necessarily Christian prayers. We know where they come from. But I think we need to be challenged that what Isaiah is going towards here is something more, something specific, something explicitly Christian. Because if your neighbor can say the same thing to his God, then how does that make us any different? see later that this thankfulness in the song is to be proclaimed. It's be, to be called to, uh, to go and tell to the world. And, and I would challenge that if our prayers are the same, then our neighbors, those who don't know Jesus, are going to say, what's the difference? So here's the important part that Isaiah talks about. He goes to the gospel. Isaiah goes that in that day, you will say, Thank you, God, for what you have done. The prayer will look like this. God, you were angry at me. You were upset at me because in my rebellion, in my sin, in my, in my disobedience to you, there was your anger, as we saw last week. Like disobedient chi- children who need, who have walked away from a God who loves us. You were upset. Even your wrath was on me. I was distant from you. But then Isaiah says, you, your anger turned away from me. Your anger turned. It was turned from me. It was no longer on me. And, and, and then from there, now or so that, you did this so you could comfort me, so you could show me your love, your grace, your goodness. Anger related to God's actions, not ours. This is the the gospel news. This is what Isaiah says, in this day, in that day, you're going to sing because the gospel, your own testimony is going to ring true as you realize what has been lifted from you. You're going to realize that in that day, the anger of God that was upon you, but yet lifted, you didn't do anything for that was turned away because God wanted to step in. He wanted to do something. He wanted to show us His love. In that day, you're going to see that if we look to Jesus' coming, that that anger wasn't just swept away. It wasn't just ignored. God didn't pretend like there wasn't wasn't there, because that would have been, it wouldn't be right of him to do that. Instead, Jesus stepped in and said, you're angry at these, but let me take that upon myself. I, I, I will take it and lift that off of them, put it on myself on the cross, and go to die so that they can be comforted by you, God. That's the song that we are to sing, that God did something for us so great, so wonderful, and that affects each of us. That in each of our faiths, we are brought into that song. 
So we need to be reminded of a couple things here. One is how great this news is, how great this song is, that this song and our own testimony is so significant and so wonderful, it's worth singing about. We also need to be reminded about how we haven't done anything to contribute to this song. It was written for us. It was given to us. And we sing in response to what we have been given. We should be reminded of how thankful we should be, as Isaiah says. We should be busting out in song because of what God has done if we are putting our trust and hope in Christ. And it's all singular. I, we, our individual song that we each sing when we put our trust in Christ. Verse 2 speaks of putting our hope in that. Verse 1 is what God has done. Verse 2 is what we respond. We put our trust. We say, I will not be afraid. I will put my trust in the Lord. He is my salvation. this morning, what we I want us to think about is, in this first kind of idea, is that for some of us, we have never prayed this prayer. Some of you have never looked and said the prayer that, said, that turns to singing and says, God, you were angry at me, but you did something about it. You've never put your hope in that. I would challenge that there may be some who have not done that. That you've all you thank God for is, is what He has to offer, the blessings that He has to offer, but not the most important thing of bringing salvation and stepping in in a place where you couldn't bench press off His wrath, his wrath from you. But Jesus came and stepped in and took it for you. And all we have to do is say, I believe that that's what Jesus did. For others of us here, we need to be reminded that this first verse of the song is something that we need to sing over and over again. This isn't just something that we sing to be saved the first time, but this is something that we sing throughout our lives again and again and again, because as often we forget, we forget the song. We know the music, but we forget the words. Like Israel, who sang that song when they came through the Red Sea in the beginning that I read. What happens? They they're marching, they sing that song after they've been brought out, and then quickly thereafter, as they're wandering through the wilderness, as they're wandering through life, they forget the song, they forget it, and they start saying, maybe we should go back to Egypt, maybe we should go back, it was good there, it was good there, it was good there, but they forget what God has done. And often in this life, I think that that's what happens to us. We forget the story, we forget what God has done, and in our life, when things get tough, we start distracted and forget the words. Which leads us to Isaiah's next idea. Verse 3. And there in verse 3, we see a chorus of enjoying salvation water. Verse 3. It says this, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation point that I have a chorus of enjoying salvation water, that idea of chorus is is in a song, that's often what we remember, right? That's the thing that we get caught up on and we dwell on and we sing over and over and over again 
and we want to repeat it because it sings kind of the main idea uh, of what we should be singing in the song. Likewise, Isaiah, he doesn't repeat these words, this verse 3, over and over again, but I think it becomes the center point of what he wants to focus in on from our story individually to now how we should live drawing off him, off salvation. And I want us to think in terms of this is something that we need to be reciting, singing like a chorus over and over in our head with joy will draw water from the wells of salvation. This is what we do. So here we see a a joyous overflow of water, living water, salvation water, that is to come, according to Isaiah, in that day that his readers and us are to have hope and have confidence in. There's some kind of water well that we're supposed to go to, that we're going to draw from, that we're going to be taking off of and enjoying. When the speaker begins to speak of the community of believers, those who are confessing, trust in all that Isaiah has said over the past bunch of verses that are being brought into the same story that Isaiah has been brought into, and he's saying, you, if you're coming into this group, if you're trusting in what I'm talking about, you're going to drink living salvation. The metaphor of water comes up. It's important for us to think about water. The other day, this last week, I went over and helped Bob over at the remodel. I was doing some of the plumbing work. And I think when you do a plumbing job, you don't, you kind of, you start to realize how many water fixtures we have in our homes. They're all over. Sinks here, sinks there. We, We got toilets and showers, and we got water coming out of all sorts of places. Water is at our fingertips whenever we want it. I was at a soccer game yesterday, and there's water bottles everywhere, half-filled water in abundance. And we forget, maybe, we lose the importance of water, especially to the people of Israel. Israel had this, here's these words, and they know how important water is. Because water is an absolute essential part of life. It still is, but for then, in that time, it wasn't a sure thing. Water was used uh, for your for watering your crops like it is today. Uh, it was made, it was used to feed your livestock as it is today, but it wasn't, they didn't have all the fancy things where they could maybe bring it in from other places. Water was, was a needed thing. So much that they had gods that they would pray to for water, for rain. Not only that, if an army was coming in to attack war on your city, you sure hoped you had enough water to stay hydrated and stay living while the battle was going on so you could survive. Water was so important. And in a dry place like Judah, where he's speaking to, it was extremely important. And so this illustration of living water, wells that won't run dry of salvation. Uh, Isaiah is speaking to something that he wants to get in the head, that this idea, if I had a well that never ran dry, that would be so awesome, his people would say. Abundance of water. 
And Isaiah seems uh, to imply that continuously at this well, we will find joy, we will find satisfaction, we will drink deeply, we will, we will just take buckets of water and dump them on our heads because we have so much water. But he's not talking about physical water, is he? He's talking about spiritual water, living water, salvation that we find, that these people in his day even will find as they walk through life. In the same way that, that they worried about whether they'd have water for their crop, he's saying when life happens, you can trust that spiritually you're going to have the water that you need. That in this life, you'll be okay. That whether drought or war or anything, you'll be okay. For us, that water salvation uh living salvation water that would come that Isaiah is speaking of wouldn't show up for another 700 plus years. It would show up in that day when Jesus would arrive as a baby in Nazareth and ultimately live his life out where he would die and rise again. We take these points from the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, uh, I want to direct us to two passages, and, and some of these are in your readings for this week in the bulletins. In John 4, we see this living water, this salvation well that comes when Jesus is out at a well, and a woman from Samaria comes to him, right? This woman is coming out to draw water in John 4, and, and she comes to him, and they start to interact, and Jesus responds to something that she says, this way. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than the fa our father Jacob? He gave us the well to drink from, from himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water thirsty, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life or into salvation. Jesus is starting to talk about him being able to give living water. A few chapters later in John 7, he again brings this idea of water out. He's at the temple and he says, it says there, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, and this is important here, as the scripture has said, out of the heart will flow rivers of living water. Most commentators say that Jesus at that point is pointing back to Isaiah 12. He's pointing back to this water that will come, referring to it to himself. That he says, that day that Isaiah said would come, I'm it. I'm the well of salvation water. Ultimately, this doesn't happen just by imitating Jesus in life. This doesn't happen just by wandering and trying to imitate and follow after Jesus and just be use him as a role model. No, Jesus' purpose in life was ultimately to go to the cross, and that's where we find this source of water 
through his death, his resurrection, he's showing us that he loves us, that he wants to bring us life, and that he's committed to bringing us water. So, I found a quote from the 4th century Bishop Ambrose, and I, I, I appreciate this quote where he talks about what Christ did, and he said, Christ's wounds, however, were filled with fragrance of grace, not the stench of repentance. Hence, it was not death's decay that flowed from his wounds, as was the case with all their men, but it was the fountain of eternal life. As Scripture teaches us, and water will spring up with the light from the fountains of salvation. Jesus' wounds gushed forth, therefore, that we might drink of salvation. All sinners of the world would, uh, the world will drink to overthrow sin, but each person must be considered an individual. And that's his commentary on Isaiah 8, that he says, what is Isaiah is talking about, where we go to drink, when life happens, the place we go to sing and to praise and to drink of the water is to Jesus' work on the cross and in his life, his resurrection. So in this life, we know that life happens, right? We know that hard things are going to come your way. We know that difficulty is going to come where you're going to be dry spiritually, where you're unsure of what's going on and you're not sure where to go. And the question is, is do we go to the cross? Do we go to find our salvation in Him as our living water in a day, in the day-to-day outcomes of life or the things that happen? Does our joyous song, the chorus, the heart of the song, does it wrap around and does it on repeat the thing that says, I go through life and I'm joyous in life because I have living, living water to draw off of by looking Jesus, and he did for me. Because of his work, that becomes my testimony. That becomes my song. Not just for yesterday, not just for when I was a little kid and I said a prayer, but that's the work that I trust in in my hardships today and tomorrow. That's the wrapping of the song. And then from there, what we catch in verses 4 through 6, and this is where he kind of lands, where Isaiah goes to, 4 through 6, he says this. Again, he starts off, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make his na- make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously, that let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. He says to these people that in that day, not only will your song revolve around what God has done for you and the fact that you're drawing life off of Him and you're walking through life, connecting with Him and drinking deeply of Him, but in this final verse, it moves from what Isaiah says will happen to now a commissioning, a call for us to drink and then proclaim. To call on God's name, to thank Him, but then also to make that known that our, our, our life in Christ, our story that we have is not to be privatized. It's not to be held to ourselves, but it's to be sung out loud 
to those in the world around us. That we speak His grace to others. If that's not part of our song, then if that's not part of what we're doing with what God has done, I wonder what song you're actually singing. Are we willing to proclaim this to others? Are we willing to share this with those around us? Is the song good enough that we don't care who sings or who hears us singing? That might seem scary to some of us to go out and tell others about our song, to proclaim it, to make it known make sure God is exalted in our world around us. But here's the beauty of this passage. I talked about in verse 1 and 2 how it's individual, how how it's our testimony each individually. But by the time we get down to 4 through 6, the you in there is plural. It's corporate. It's together. And so for us, proclaiming, making him known is something that we should be doing together. That we should be encouraging each other in that it's something that's done corporately and speaking to each other. And, and, and challenge me on this and me challenge you to say, who have you sung your song to? Have we been telling others? Have we been speaking to others what God has done, the, the good things in our life, not just the blessings that we receive from Him, but the greatest blessing, His love towards us. We should be doing that together. And that's exactly what Isaiah is doing here. As he says that we should proclaim it to all the earth, all the nations, all the people groups, all the people we know. That's exactly what Isaiah is doing. Because you remember, chapter 6, Isaiah is brought into this gospel himself. He experiences it. And now here in chapter 12, uh, after all that he said, he's bringing others into that gospel message. He's sharing his own story. He's bringing others in to this story. And now he's saying, now you pass it on to others. Isaiah is demonstrating us discipleship. He's taking his own story and telling others so that others tell others. Isaiah is proclaiming this so that the people around him and us know the song. Because they know their story and who God is and they can relate to God. That they can relate to each other through Jesus and drinking deeply of him. And then ultimately, the best part is that we get to sing this song to the world sent out and singing it with each other. In a moment, I I asked Ivan and Dolores to sing our closing song that we'll sing with them, which is Oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. And the idea of this song, as I thought about it, and I asked them to to have that as our closing song, is it's this idea of us singing together for eternity. And if our story is rooted in the gospel and our trust is only found in Him, then we can sing this song loudly start with what, as the verse 3 will say, that we're going to sing for all eternity, the saints from all ages, the song of what he's done. So I hope this morning that we can be reminded of our song, that it's not just, it's not just a melody when we sing. The song that we sing is not just some random words. It's ultimately rooted in like that that class that chooses a certain song because they're singing the song because that's what we've gone through. That ultimately our song is rooted in what God has done for us and how we can drink from Him for that. So as we close up this morning, let us sing 
We're reminded of our own song as we sing with each other tonight. Thank you. Father God, we thank you this morning. That we can have a song we can trust in you. A song that says, your anger was upon us. But your anger was turned away. And we trust that that was done in what Jesus did. Something we could never do. That our song has that turning moment that as we put our trust and say, you are my salvation, that in that we find comfort that we find living salvation water, and in that we proclaim it to the rest of the world. Father, we know Monday's coming. We know there will be things that try to drown out this song in our lives, but Lord, we ask that we can meditate and chew and sing out loudly. Spirit, it's your work that really does the changing of the heart to make that song sing. 